you this morning as we've gathered together to uh, uh, to worship, and I would like to uh, direct your attention to Psalm 88, Psalm 88 for our call to worship this morning. Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the chief musician set to Mahala Linoth, a contemplation of Heman the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I've cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles. And my life draws near to the grave. I'm counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength. Adrift among the dead like the slain who lie in the grave. Whom you remember no more and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit. In darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. And your, you have afflicted me with all your waves. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Selah. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgiveness? But to you, O Lord, I've cried out. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I've been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved one and friend you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. Let's pray together. Great and holy God, we thank you that we can come to your throne of grace. And, uh, Lord, we're thankful for your provision for us in Christ Jesus and the light that has shone in the darkness. And thank you for your mercy and your grace. And thank you that you sent Jesus to endure, to persevere, to, to, to take the wrath that we deserve. And Lord, to take the punishment that we have earned. And Lord, we give you praise that Jesus is risen and that he is alive and that he is with us and present in the person of the Holy Spirit. To enable and empower us to give you glory and to walk in your ways and to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we just pray that as we come to this refuge in the midst of enemy territory, Lord, that we would be comforted and strengthened and encouraged and exhorted by your word and by your truth and by your grace to persevere, to endure uh, life in enemy territory as we look forward and wait for the glorious and victorious return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, may your spirit empower us to worship you in spirit and truth this day. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Right, I'm going to encourage you to take out your hymnal and turn with me to hymn 107. Turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 14. Uh, in Acts chapter 14, we will look at the bulk of the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. We have seen in chapter 13, they were sent out by the church at Antioch uh, under the direction of the Holy Spirit. They went across the island of, uh, of Crete and then they went into uh, Asia Minor. They went into, I mean, the island of Cyprus, I'm sorry, the island of Cyprus. And then they went into modern day Turkey, Asia Minor and, uh, and, and went from church to church preaching. We saw them start in Antioch, Pisidia and then uh, driven out of that city. And then today we look at the conclusion of that first missionary journey uh, and, uh, and actually, these are the churches of the region of Galatia. And so these churches are the churches to whom Paul wrote the letter Galatians. And so what we're going to do, we've been studying through the book of Acts for uh, uh, a good while now. And we are going to, beginning next week, go to the book of Galatians and look at the letter that Paul wrote to these churches that he established on the, uh, the first uh First missionary journey. So we're going to look at uh, uh, the establishment of Galatian churches today and the strengthening and encouraging of those churches. And then next week we'll look at what happened to those churches after Paul left. And in the book of Galatians we learn a lot more about Paul's life and what we learn in, uh, in, uh, in Acts. And so we're going to uh, kind of a logical move, look at the establishment of the Galatian churches, and then look at Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. So next week, uh, we'll look at the first part of Galatians and a perfect Christmas message as Paul uh, tells the people uh, not to be taken uh, uh, taken aside by any other gospel. And so next week, we'll look at the introduction to the book of Galatians, um, Lord willing. And so uh, Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14, we see the bulk of the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. They have been driven out of Antioch, Pisidia. Remember, they were sent out by Antioch of Syria, and then they went to Antioch of Pisidia and stayed there for a while, and then uh, have now been expelled from Antioch, Pisidia, and now they come to Iconium. Acts chapter 14, beginning in the first verse. Now what happened in Iconium, that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra, a certain man with, without strength in his feet was sitting, a crippled from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet, and he leaped and walked. 
Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles, apostles Barnabas and Saul heard this, Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all the things that are in them, who in bygone's generation allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went to the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, now when they had preached in the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. So they returned to Antioch of Syria. Verse 27, now when they had, had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word and for the gospel and the good news, Lord, and we're thankful for, uh, for missionaries that go out and, uh, um, and take the gospel to places where it is not known. And Lord, we thank you for uh, this Christmas season where we as Southern Baptists remember the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and specifically pray for and give to our international missionaries, Lord, and we pray for them on the, on the field and in the places across this world where they are giving uh, their lives in service to your kingdom. And Lord, we're thankful for Barnabas and, and, uh, and Paul, and we're thankful for their journeys, and that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke has recorded those for us so that we might learn and we might be encouraged and we might be strengthened and exhorted to persevere in the faith and to endure hardship to endure tribulation for the expansion of your kingdom and so lord we pray your spirit this day would help us to be encouraged and that we would persevere in the faith and that we would persevere in proclaiming the faith to those who need to hear and so lord grant us grace in jesus name we pray amen and so what we see here is the bulk of that first missionary journey 
of Barnabas and Paul, Paul and Barnabas, sent out by the church at Antioch, and they went through, uh, through Cyprus and then through Asia Minor and then returned to Antioch of Syria in order to provide a report of what is happening. And, and it's interesting, when they, got to, uh, uh, when they got to Derby, they were not very far from Tarsus, which, was, which is Paul's hometown. And then Tarsus is just a little, uh, down the, just a little farther down the road from Tarsus was Antioch of Syria, where they were sent out from. And so if it was their intent to, uh, uh, to go back to Antioch of Syria and to report they, the simplest way, the easiest way, the most direct route would have been gone to, through Tarsus, Paul's hometown, and maybe visited some family and kin there, and then move on to Antioch of Syria in order to, uh, to give a report and stay a while with the disciples there that had sent them out. But we see in, in Acts chapter 14, that's not what they chose to do. They did not go from Derby to Tarsus to uh, Antioch of Syria. Instead, they turned around and they went back to all these cities where they had been rejected, that they had been driven out of, and even one time stoned and left for dead. And so when they got to Derby and, and preached the gospel there and they were ready to, uh, to, uh, to go back, they backtracked. And they went right into the face of the opposition. They went right into the teeth of the enemy. They went right back to those cities where they had been rejected and run out of town and even stoned and left for dead. And the battered and bloody Paul went back to those cities where they had tried to kill him. And he went back, and I think verse 22 is the key verse of this passage. Chapter 14, verse 22, they went back strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And so they'd been run out of these cities, but in those cities they had left disciples, they had left new converts, they had left new believers in Jesus Christ, and they had left them in enemy territory, left them in those cities where they had been rejected, and yet these churches were still there. And so instead of taking the easy way out and going back to Antioch of Syria where they were popular, they went back into enemy territory in order to strengthen the churches and to exhort them to continue and to tell them that they must endure tribulation. And Paul, with his battered and bruised body from being stoned and left for dead, was a living testimony that we must endure tribulation. And through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. And this is a message that American Christians definitely need to hear today. You know, over the years, American Christians have, have experienced a time of comfort, you know, and, and, and a, in, a, in a place where there was cultural Christianity and cultural Christians were even the majority view for most of our lives. The, the, the church enjoyed majority status as there were plenty of cultural Christians, but now... 2021, going into 2022, we live in a post-Christian America. We live in an America where cultural Christianity is no longer the majority view or becoming not the majority view. And uh, we live in a culture where there is increasingly militant secularism. 
And so we as Christians in America and post-Christian America need to understand uh, the experience of tribulation and suffering and persecution. And so as Paul goes back visiting these churches that he had established on his first missionary journey, he gives them a message that we as 2021 and 2022 American Christians need to hear. Verse 22 is the, the key verse that we must through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And so that's the, uh, uh, the truth, that he goes back to these churches to, to, uh, to strengthen them, to exhort them to persevere even in the midst of many tribulations. And so notice this, this truth, we must. It is a necessity. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Now, he's certainly not saying, we know from the testimony of Scripture, he's not saying that it is by being persecuted that we are saved. No, we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. We're saved by turning from our sin and putting our trust in Jesus and its finished work on the cross and His glorious resurrection. We're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, by God's grace through faith in Jesus. But when we turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus, we have been born again by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and produces His work in our lives. And when we're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we are living out the first part of our eternal life. We are living that out in enemy territory. We're living out our eternal life in a world that is hostile to Jesus, in a world that hates God, and in our culture increasingly so. And so we're born again to new life, and we're born again into enemy territory. And as Paul goes back through these cities where he was rejected and driven out of town and run out of town and even stoned and left for dead and drug out of town, he tells them that this is necessity, that we must endure tribulation. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And so when we are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are in enemy territory, when we turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are declaring war on Satan, and Satan is the ruler of this world, and we are declaring war on him, and we live that first part of our eternal life in enemy territory, and we should expect to suffer. Paul says it's necessary. We must. It is not optional. It is not for... Uh, uh, super Christians that they're going to experience tribulation and everybody else is just going to get by. No, it is for every disciple must expect to endure persecution and tribulation as we live in enemy territory. Uh, Paul went to strengthen and encourage the churches and he didn't go and strengthen and encourage them saying, you know, everything's going to be okay. He didn't go strengthen and encourage them and say, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and he's not going to allow you to experience anything hard. He's not going to let you experience anything difficult. He didn't go and encourage them and exhort them and strengthen them by saying, you know, God loves you so much he's going to make you healthy and, and, and prosperous and he's not ever going to let you get sick and he's not ever going to let you experience any difficulties or, or trials. No, that's not the word of strengthening and encouraging that he gave them. The word he gave them was we must, through many tribulations, enter into the kingdom of God. It is 
how arrogant it is, is it for us to think that we can follow Jesus in the same world that killed him, and yet we can be popular and wealthy and prosperous and avoid trouble. If we look like Jesus, we can expect the world to treat us the same way that it treated Jesus. And in fact, that's what Jesus said to his disciples on the last night of his earthly life. He said, if the world hates me, it's going to hate you too. And so we live in enemy territory and we can expect a, a world that hates God and that hates the gospel and hates the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ and hates the, the call to, to holiness and to purity. We can expect them to hate us as we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. God's purpose for us is not for us to be happy, but for us to be holy. And sometimes those persecutions are holiness and vice persecution. Those who love darkness hate the light because the darkness is exposed by the light and that their deeds are evil. So we must expect persecution. It is necessary we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. It is not optional. It's not for super-duper Christians. But it is something that happens to all. It is necessary. And one of the reasons it's necessary is because it's purposeful. It's purposeful. Tribulation, suffering has a purpose. And it's necessary because we're living in enemy territory and we can expect the enemy to fight back against the truth. But it is also purposeful. That word tribulations means pressings or crushing. And as I read that word, I thought about the, the olive tree, the olive. You know, the olive is, uh, was a very uh, important crop in the world of Paul and Barnabas. Olive trees were everywhere. Olives were very valuable. They were valuable in and of themselves, but when, a, when an olive was taken and put in a press it, onto a huge stone, and above that huge stone was a, a millstone that would come and crush that olive and press it and, and uh, uh, grind against it and, and give pressure and tribulation, that olive that was crushed that olive that was pressed would become much more valuable than just the olive that was plucked off of the tree. Because when that was pressed, it would produce olive oil. And in that word, that world, olive oil was used in the preparation of food and used to enhance the flavor of food. You know, they, they, they ate pretty much uh, uh, barley loaves and... Uh, and, and fish, and they would dip those barley loaves in olive oil, or those fish would be uh, preserved in olive oil, and it would enhance their flavor, it would enhance their taste. But not only was that olive oil used to in preparation for food and to enhance the taste of food, but that olive oil was also used medicinally. And it was used to put on dry skin, it was used as a medicine, it was used to bring soothing and cleaning to a uh, to, to the human body, it was used as a, as a medicine. And so it was very valuable when it was crushed. And not only was it used as a food and preparation of food to enhance the flavor of food, and it was used as a medicine, but it was also used as oil in lamps 
in order to provide light. And so that olive had some value of itself, but when it was crushed, when it was pressed, it produced an oil that was more valuable. And so not only is tribulation, is pressing, is crushing, or we are to expect many many pressures and much crushing in enemy territory because it's necessary, but it is also purposeful. The pressing, the crushing is performing a purpose. And that purpose is valuable. And so we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God, not just because we're in enemy territory and there's a natural enemy to us, but it's also because it's purposeful and God is doing a work. God is making us holy through those pressings, through that suffering. God is 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 enhancing our usefulness in the kingdom of God through those crushings, through those persecutions, through that pressure. You know, just like uh, carbon in the in the in the uh, center of the earth, when that carbon, when when useless carbon is exposed to heat and pressure, what is produced? Diamonds. That's exactly right. And so carbon, which is worthless, when, it, when it's exposed to great heat and great pressure in the core of the earth, produces a valuable diamond. And so remember, it's not God's purpose to make us happy, to make us healthy, to make us prosperous, but it's God's purpose to make us holy. And through the pressing, through the crushing, through the pressures of this world, we are refined. We are, our, our uh, uh, impurities can be crushed out and it is working God's purpose to, for our sanctification. Persecution, suffering is necessary for our sanctification, for our purification in order to make us holy. Paul even says in one place that in our suffering we are filling up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. Jesus suffered in his body. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And now his church, the body, continues to fill up what is lacking in his suffering until he comes again. It is purposeful. And so when Paul went back to those churches to try to encourage them and try to tell them uh, what uh, uh, to, to persevere in the, in the faith, to keep believing, he did not tell them it's going to be easy. He said, no, it's going to be hard. You must suffer because you're in enemy territory. You must suffer because it's purposeful. It's working God's, God's work. It is essential in your sanctification and we are living in enemy territory. And while we're in enemy territory, we should expect crushings. We should expect pressure. We should expect heat. We should expect difficulties. We should expect tribulations and suffering. And Jesus, on the last night of his earthly life, in fact, the last words he said in the upper room before he began to move across Jerusalem, where he knew he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane and be arrested, when they left that upper room, the very last thing he said to those men is, in this world, you will experience tribulation. In this world, you will experience suffering. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He was leaving his his, his people, his men in enemy territory, but he was promising that in his death and resurrection he would overcome the world and he would crush the head of Satan and he would return and bring them into the kingdom. And so right now we're in enemy territory and we must through many tribulations 
enter the kingdom of God. When Jesus comes again, the, 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 the enemy will be destroyed. Jesus will return in victory, and Jesus will cast out Satan and cast him into the, into the, to the everlasting lake of fire. He will destroy evil, and he will bring truth and righteousness and justice. He will bring the fullness, the consummation, the completion of his kingdom. And when Jesus comes again, all suffering will be over. The enemy will be defeated and we will enter into the kingdom of heaven where there will be no sadness, no pain, no sorrow, no suffering. There will be no consequences of sin. There will be no tears, no pain, no suffering, no death. But in the meantime, we're living in enemy territory. And we're living out the first part of our eternal life and we should expect to suffer. We should expect many tribulations as we look forward to the, to the completion, to the consummation, to the kingdom of God coming in all of its fullness. And so Paul circles back and encourages these disciples in these churches. And he tells them that they must experience tribulation because they're in enemy territory and it's also purposeful and it also causes us to long for the consummation of the kingdom and pray the last prayer of, of scripture come quickly Lord Jesus as we endure these sufferings and so that's the point Paul didn't take the easy way out he didn't just go to Tarsus where he had friends and family he didn't go to Antioch of Syria where they had a church that was supporting them and had sent them out no he went back into the teeth of the opposition, he went back into enemy territory and he gives them this message that we must endure many tribulations uh, and through those many tribulations, that's how we enter the kingdom of God and we look forward to his coming. And as we look back at chapter 14, we see some of those tribulations. We saw, see that Paul had experienced them as he was going through these towns the first time. And we can see some of the tribulations that we might expect. Back at the beginning of chapter 14 in Iconium, they went to the synagogue and they spoke to a great multitude of the Jews and the Greeks. And, uh, and when you're faithful to preach the gospel, you can expect one of three responses. There will be those who believe. There will be those that through the preaching of the gospel, the good news of Jesus will be made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit and they will believe. They will believe that salvation is not through their works, not through observing the law, but by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They will believe in the sinless life, the atoning death, the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. They will be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. When the gospel is preached, the word will not return void and those that God has uh, appointed to salvation, as we saw last week, will believe. There will be believers. There will be a response of faith to the preaching of the gospel. There will also be those who want to hear more. There will be those who uh, hear the gospel and are interested and are curious, as we've seen going through the book of Acts, and, and, and want to hear more about it. They will hear more about this later. We want to talk more about this with you. And so that will be a response. And then the third response is rejection opposition verse 2 the unbelieving jews stirred up the gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren and so there was rejection but there were some who were curious so they stayed a long time speaking boldly in the lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands and so they stayed there in iconium for a while there were some who believed 
There were some who were hearing more, and then there was some opposition, and the opposition gradually built steam. And the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And then a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. And when they heard of that conspiracy, they fled. They left Iconium because they had been rejected. And there was a plot to stone them and kill them. So they left. They went to the next village. They went to Lystra. And when they got there, you know, we're not told that they went to the synagogue. Most of this journey and, and throughout the book of Acts, Paul goes to the synagogue first. Remember, the gospel to the Jew first and then also the Greek. They would go to the synagogue. When the synagogue rejected them, they would go to the, to the marketplace. But here, notice they do not go to the synagogue. So probably in Lystra, there isn't a large enough Jewish population in order to have a synagogue. You had to have 10 Jewish men living in a city to have a synagogue. So probably in Leicester, there was not a, a, a significant Jewish population. And we see they were very pagan. This is a pagan city. And Paul is there speaking. And he sees a man that had the faith to be healed. And that word translated healed is the word to be saved. And so this man was responding to the gospel message with faith. And he had the faith to be saved, and he was weak. He had never walked before. He had been crippled from his mother's womb. And he had the faith to be saved. And, and Paul sees that under the, the discernment of the Holy Spirit, sees his faith. And he, and he announces and pronounces the physical healing of that man to show the authority of Jesus to spiritually heal him. Just like you remember the paralytic uh, that uh, in the early parts of the gospel where uh, the house is full in Capernaum, it's overflowing with people, and Jesus is sitting there teaching, and these four men are bringing their paralytic friend to Jesus, and they can't uh, get in the door. And so what do they do? They go up on the roof, make a hole, lower the man in front of Jesus, and as Jesus saw their faith, he announced to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the religious people were saying, Who does this man think he is? Who does he think he is to say that he has the authority to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Who does he think he is? And Jesus said to them, uh, You know, what's this easier to do? To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? You know, you can see if, if I tell him to get up and walk and he doesn't get up and walk, you can see that that doesn't happen. But if I tell him his sins are forgiven, you can't see whether that's happened or not. And so in order that you might believe that I, the Son of Man, have authority to forgive sins, you get up and walk. And he got up and walked. So he healed the man physically to show his authority to hear the man, heal the man spiritually. Same thing happens here in Leicester. And so Paul sees that this man has faith. And he is not only healed physically, but he's healed spiritually. But the people see it, and they're pagans. These are good Greeks, and they worship a multitude of gods. And Zeus is the king of their gods, and Hermes is his messenger. And so, so these people see Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas is being silent. Paul is speaking and uh, heals this man. And they think, oh, wow, the gods have come to visit us. And so this is a very different tribulation than the tribulation they experienced in Iconium. And in Iconium, they were rejected and there was a violent plot to 
kill them, to stone them, to abuse them, and they fled. Well, now this temptation is very different. This is a temptation to receive the exaltation, the honor of the crowds who now think because of their powers that they are some superhuman, supernatural beings. And so that, that's a very real temptation in the, in the world. Those who, who you speak the gospel to may have the propensity to give the speaker honor and glory and adoration as opposed to the Lord God. And it's a great temptation for those who speak the gospel to receive that glory, to receive that adoration for themselves. Remember Herod back a few chapters ago? Herod didn't give glory to God and the worms ate him up and he died. And so, but, but that's a very real temptation. I mean, here these people are coming to honor you and to worship you and to make sacrifices to you. That's a great temptation. And so there's not just the temptation of being rejected. There's the temptation of being exalted. And Barnabas and Paul uh, experienced that pressing, that testing, that pressure, the pressure to receive the honor of the people of that town. And it's kind of interesting. This is an interesting point that, uh, you know, uh, this all started out Barnabas and Saul. You remember Barnabas is the one who went and got Saul and said, boy, I really need him to help me at this church in Antioch. And it was Barnabas who took Saul to the apostles and introduced him and, and all of that. And Barnabas had to leave. But once they got on the missionary journey, when they got to Cyprus, Paul was the one with the speaking gifts. Barnabas had more encouraging gifts and more uh, uh, gifts of, of, of service and encouragement and mercy. Paul had the speaking gifts, and so once they got out on the field, uh, Barnabas had the supporting role, and, and Paul was the speaker. But notice how the people in Lystra uh, 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 interpret that. They think that since Barnabas is the, the silent one, that he's the highest ranking one. <laughs> they think he's Zeus, and Hermes is simply proclaiming his message. That's, that was kind of interesting to me, that the silent one was the, was the, uh, the highest ranking one, and the lower ranking one was doing the speaking. And so they come and they're going to worship Barnabas and Paul. And even Luke in verse 14 reverses it again, Barnabas and Paul, because they think Barnabas is the highest ranking and that Paul is simply Barnabas' messenger, his spokesman. And Barnabas and Paul resist that temptation to be exalted and to receive the adoration and the glorification of those to whom they had preached. And also notice, you know, we saw... Paul's synagogue sermon back in chapter 13, when he was speaking to the Jews, he started with the Old Testament. He was speaking to Jews and God-fearing Greeks and, and proselytes to Judaism. And when he was in the synagogue, he started with the Old Testament. God's work through Israel and through the prophets and the patriarchs. But when he's talking to these pagans, he doesn't appeal to the Old Testament. Because they don't have the Old Testament. They don't know the Old Testament. They don't respect the Old Testament. They don't have that book. And so Paul doesn't use that book at first. What does he do? He goes to the book that they have, the book of creation. And so he appealed to the pagans, to the Jews he appealed to the Old Testament. To the pagans he appeals to creation. The book that they do have where they can see God's glory. And so notice... He, uh, he, 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 he's going to tell them enough to know that he is not a god and that the gods that they worship is useless 
and they need to turn and worship the true and living God. That's kind of Paul's message, and he, so he, he appeals to creation. Now, we are men, the same nature as you, verse 15, and we preach to you that you should turn from these useless things, these worthless gods, these gods who are not gods at all, to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them. The creation declares God's glory. The creation declares His power. The creation declares His might. There is one true and living God, and He has made all of these things. He created. And then in bygone generations, He allowed the nations to walk their own ways. He allowed you to do what you wanted to do. He allowed you to, to, to invent these hundreds and hundreds of gods and Zeus and Hermes and all of these other gods. He allowed you to go in your own way and do your own thing. But verse 17, nevertheless, He did not leave Himself without witness and that He did good. And He speaks of God's common grace. He created everything. He allowed the nations to go their own way. And as they were going their own way, he still was good to them. He still showed his kindness. He still showed his mercy. And he demonstrated his power and authority, not just in the extraordinary ways of healing this man who was crippled and, and lame and had never walked before. God works in that way. But God also works in the everyday routine per, uh, functions of creation and, and giving rain in the change of the seasons and the producing the bounty of the earth so that we might have food and gladness. And so we're not just to, work, to look for the work of God and the extraordinary and the miraculous, but we are to see the hand of God in the everyday and the routine and the, 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 the rotation of the earth and the revolving of the earth around the sun, the changing of the seasons, the, the, the coming of the giving of rain and the production, the bounty of the earth. We should see God not just in the extraordinary, but in the everyday and the ordinary, the ordinary means of grace. And so, well, the point, uh, you know, there's the temptation of rejection, but there's also the temptation of of allowing yourself to be honored by those to whom you preach and the temptation to, to, to maybe change the message just enough that you can still be popular with the crowds. But no, these people knew that Paul was saying he was not a god and the gods that they had served all their life were worthless and that they needed to turn from everything that they had ever believed to be true, everything that they'd been taught, everything that they heard from their mama and their daddy, everything that they'd heard in school from their earliest age was wrong. And that they were worshiping worthless gods and they needed to turn to the true and living God who had made all things and had been good to them, been kind to them through His creation. And so, uh, there's the temptation of the, the pressure of self-exaltation. And there's also the pressure of those who at one time wanted to worship you, pretty soon want to kill you. 
<laughs> so uh, they, they accept you. They're coming out. They're running with their, their bulls. They want to sacrifice to them. They're bringing their garlands. They're going to worship. And when Paul tells them everything you've ever heard is wrong, everything you've ever heard is a lie, you need to repent and turn to the true and living God, then, then all of these Jews from Iconium and uh, Antioch who had run them out of their town, they weren't content just to run Barnabas and Paul out of their town. They chased them. They pursued them. They, they, didn't, they weren't content just for them to leave, but they wanted them dead. So they chased them. They chased them all the way to Lystra. And then verse 19, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. Having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. And so uh, when you're faithful in enemy territory, there might be people who will love to hear your message for a little bit, but in a little while... They turn against you and stone you, leave you for dead, and drag you out of town thinking that your bloody and beaten carcass is dead. So they drag you out of town. Uh, that's another temptation. They like you one day, and the next day they are trying to kill you. We're, we're to expect that in enemy territory. You know, because that's what happened to Jesus, right? Remember in John chapter 11, he goes to Bethany, <laughs> raises Lazarus from the dead. There's great excitement. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the observance of the Feast of Passover. And what happens? All the people come out of Jerusalem. What do they do? They're worshiping him. Waving palm branches. Recognizing that he is the son of David. Asking him to save them now. Welcoming him as king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The son of David. Save us now. They're worshiping. That's Sunday. Sunday, they're running out of Jerusalem and welcoming Jesus, laying their coats down in front of him, waving the palm branches, crying out to him to save him and worshiping him as the son of David, the Messiah, the Christ. What are those same people crying out on Thursday? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. He did not meet their expectations as Messiah. And these men did not meet the people's expectation. Instead, they said, everything you've ever heard is a lie. You need to turn from those worthless gods and turn to the true and living God. And when they recognized, they accepted the message initially when they saw power, but then when they recognized the implication of the message, they rejected him. We are to expect that in enemy territory. There will be those who love you and adore you, and then when they recognize the implications of your message, they want to kill you. Expect that in enemy territory that happened to Barnabas and Paul. They, it doesn't say they, they, they stoned Barnabas, but they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. And then uh, Paul gets up, and what does he do? Does he run away? No, he goes back into the city. <laughs> Paul, a... a a courageous man, not running from temptation. Why? Because he recognizes that we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. He's not running from pressure. He runs back into the pressure cooker. He's not running from the enemy. He runs back to the enemy because he knows he must. It's necessary and it's purposeful. And so when Paul got to Derby and was ready to bring his first missionary journey to a conclusion, there was an easy way. Yeah, we just go to Tarsus. We've got lots of friends and family there. We'll go to Antioch and Syria. We got that supportive church. We'll spend time with them. He didn't take the easy way. He went back to strengthen 
and exhort those new believers to persevere and to endure in enemy territory. And also, notice what they did. They appointed elders in all those towns. Some time had passed, and, and, and according to God's providence, God had risen up those who were ready to serve as elders in those churches. And so Paul and Barnabas go, and they appoint elders into those towns. And then they go back to Antioch the hard way, the long way, the difficult way, the way that was filled with heat, with pressure, with tribulation, with pressings, with crushings, with persecutions. Because they believed we must, through many tribulations, enter into the kingdom of God. We should expect it. Do not be surprised. It's necessary. It's not something that we can choose to opt out of. It's not just for super spiritual people. In this world, you will experience tribulation. If we look like Jesus, we can expect the world to treat us the same way they treated him. We can expect persecution. If we're faithful, like Paul and Barnabas, we can expect the world to treat us the same way they treated them. As we live in a post-Christian America, we need to be fortified. We need to be strengthened. We need to be ready to stand up for Jesus in enemy territory and to experience the hatred, the pressings, the persecution of the world. We need to be strengthened and encouraged. And the way to strengthen and encourage ourselves is not say everything's going to be okay. No, we must, through many tribulations, enter into the kingdom of God. Because not only do those persecutions, not only are they necessary, it's part of living in enemy territory, not only is it productive, producing value, and holiness, and purifying, but it is also proving. The fact that we can endure tribulation and not take the easy way out, not run away just because somebody's mean to us, somebody said something that wasn't kind. Not just run away or, 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 or even accept, you know, water down the message so that we might receive the approval and the affection of the world and not run away in the face of animosity but stand not only is it producing purification but it's also proving the reality of your faith it proves your faith it proves that it's genuine it proves that it's real so the question is Will we follow Jesus? Will we follow Jesus no matter what it costs? Will we follow Jesus even when it gets hard? Will we follow Jesus when it's tough? Will, will, will we follow Jesus when people reject us and run us out of town? Will we follow Jesus when they even stone us to death and, 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 and leave us for dead? Are we, do we really believe that Jesus will raise the dead? And if we die in service of him, he will raise us up. And that will be victory. And to be present with the Lord is better to be here in this body, in this life. Do we really believe that? And are we willing to follow Jesus 
even if it means we will lay down our physical life and entrust it to him who can raise the dead. Do we really believe that the persecutions, the tribulations, not only purify our faith, but they prove our faith, prove that it's real, and prove that we believe to follow Jesus means taking up a cross and denying yourself. And so the persecutions, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So if we're in enemy territory, it's producing, it's working a purpose to make us holy as part of our sanctification, essential to our sanctification, but also proves that our faith is real. Paul and Barnabas didn't take the easy way out. They went back in the face of the enemy because they believed that Jesus has overcome the world. Do we, do we believe that? Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word and we're so thankful for your truth, Lord. And, and, and thankful that you don't, you, don't, uh, you don't sugarcoat it, you don't make it easy, you tell us the truth. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, we pray that as we're here in enemy territory, that we'd be strong, that we'd be encouraged, that we'd persevere, that we'd stand. We would not compromise the message. We would not fear rejection. We would not fear betrayal and, and, and not even fear being stoned to death. But that we would stand and be found faithful, proving that we have entrusted our souls to the one who is the resurrection and the life who can raise the dead. And so, Lord, we also pray that you help us to see your hand, not in just the miraculous, but in the everyday, ordinary grace. As you give rain, you give the seasons, you, you cause the earth to produce that which we need. That's your goodness. That's your grace. That's your provision. That shows your glory and that you will provide and protect. And so, Lord, we pray that you help us see your hand in the everyday, ordinary events of our life as you are working to sustain and preserve us. And Lord, we pray that you find us faithful and not be discouraged knowing that there's three results when we speak your word. There will be some that believe. There will be some who want to hear more. And there will be some who reject it and respond in great opposition. And Lord, we pray that you grant us the grace on that day to stand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to take out your hymnals. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty dominion and power, and we must, through many tribulations, enter into the kingdom of God. But he is able to keep you and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Amen.